connected to Facebook. Yeah, we're ready. Are we ready? Okay, great. Well then, good evening. Welcome to the February 22nd, 2024 Social Service Human Relations Board meeting. Um, this is a regular meeting. This meeting is being recorded. If a panel member would like to speak, please physically or digitally raise your hand and the chair will acknowledge your request. The chat function has been turned off. If members of the public would like to comment on an item, please digitally raise your hand or email Andrea Farley, A-F-A-I-R-L-E-Y at alamedaca.gov. Comments submitted during the meeting before the conclusion of the public comment section will be read into the record. His email address is also on the meeting's agenda. If you are calling by phone, Please email Mr. Farley as we cannot see you raising your hand. Um, you can also dial star 9 to raise your hand and we will call on you. Public comments will be limited to three minutes. To clarify, the public has three opportunities for public comments. First, under Genomite 4, public comment. Comments from the audience may concern matters either on or not on the agenda, but must deal with matters subject to the jurisdiction of the Social Service Human Relations Board. Second, under each agenda item, there will be an opportunity for public comment on a specific item. Each item follows a format similar to city council meetings. First, after presentation, we'll ask if there are any clarifying questions from the shrub members or staff. Second, we will ask if there are any public comments on this agenda item. And third, after public comment, we will open the item up for board discussion and a vote if recommended. The final opportunity for public comment near the end of the meeting under oral communication. The public can comment on a topic not on the agenda. New items may be introduced by local residents under the item oral communication. Please note that the board cannot take action on items not on the agenda. And we are going to be calling this meeting to order at 7.04 p.m. All right, so you roll call for the record. And uh, other than roll call, we'll be able to do consensus voting tonight since we're all here. So thank you all for being here. So for the roll call, um, Bernie Wolf, here. Cindy Pyle, Diane Amashiro-Omi, Gerald Bryant, here. Michelle Buckle, here. Samantha Green, here. and Scott Means, here. Um, we also have to join us from the Housing and Human Services Division, Marcy Johnson, Social Services Manager, and I'm Dick Early, Management Analyst. Um, so we'll move on to item 2A, which is the daily meeting of the season for nonviolence. The word for the day, February 22nd, is consistency. I'm going to read a quote from Dr. Martin here. Peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but a means by which we arrive at that goal. All right, moving to item number three, uh, 3A, the review and approval of the minutes for January 31st, 2024. Motion to approve the minutes. Do I have a second? 
I'll second those. All right, we have a second. Um, and again, consensus vote. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, opposed? Okay. Unanimous. Um, oh, right. I think there's two abstains, right? I think okay. it's in the <laughs> Okay, so item number four, non-agenda public comment. Um, if the public would like to comment on agenda items, please email Andrew Farley at A-F-A-I-R-L-E-Y at alameda.ca.gov. Comments submitted during the meeting before the conclusion of the public comment section will be read with the record. This email address is also on the agenda. If you're calling in by phone, please email Mr. Fairley as we cannot see you raising your hand. You can also dial star 9 to raise your hand and we will call on you. The city welcomes speakers providing public comment, but please be advised this is a limited public forum. Comments from the audience may concern matters either on or not on the agenda, but must deal with matters subject to the jurisdiction of the Social Service and Human Relations Board. Comments will be limited to three minutes. Comments concerning matters on the agenda will be heard when that item is called. If speakers fail to follow these rules, they will be warned, and if they continue to disregard the rules, their opportunity to speak will be ended. So, are there any speakers? No, we actually do. Fantastic. Okay. Um, looks like Josh L. Yes, uh, thank you for your time this evening. Uh, my name is uh, Josh Altieri. I'm the Community Relations Manager here at the Housing Authority of the City of Alameda. Just wanted to share a couple quick updates with you all. Um, we're pleased to announce that we uh, 109 new affordable homes are coming to the city of Alameda via two new housing developments uh, titled Estuary One and Lynette Corner. Uh, these are the first two buildings of the North Housing Master Plan. Uh, and to celebrate the construction, the start of the construction of the North Housing Master Plan, uh, the Housing Authority is hosting a groundbreaking event, and we'd like to invite you all. Uh, it's on April 24th at 3 p.m. at 2000 Lakehurst Circle in Alameda. Uh, more information will be on our website as well as on our social media. Uh, the construction is expected to be completed late 2025. The Housing Authority is going to invest uh, $8.6 million of its own funds and has allocated 80 um, project-based vouchers towards both these properties. Uh, Building Futures, along with Alameda Point Collaborative, will lead comprehensive case management and services for Estuary One for all the residents there. And then Life Steps, who's our current on-site social services partner, will provide case management and residence services at Lynette Corner. And then beyond that, uh, our programs continue, our partnership with Alameda Food Bank, they're uh, continuing to deliver weekly weekly to our largest senior properties, which are Anby Diamond and Independence Plaza. Uh, and the fact that they bring the, the food to these properties uh, helps us serve our most vulnerable residents. It's kind of a farmer's market setup where Housing Authority residents can get fruit, vegetables, grains, and protein, among other items. And then we also appreciate partnership with the city as our youth programming continues at our largest family property, which is Esperanza Apartments. Uh, the city of Alameda Recreation and Park Department uh, provides 
free after-school recreation. And we also have a nonprofit partner, Drawbridge, who provides free art sessions on a weekly basis. So, and then lastly, we have a partnership with the Alameda Boys and Girls Club. So any housing authority household, family household with kids ages six, eight, six to 18 are eligible for a free membership at the Alameda Boys, Boys and Girls Club. Uh, and then lastly, just wanted to, in our attempt to address the digital divide, the Housing Authority has launched a tablet rental program and provided Wi-Fi hotspots inside the community rooms at five of, uh, of our Housing Authority properties, which are Independence Plaza, Esperanza Apartments, Little John Commons, Rosefield Village, and Anby Diamond. And we're currently exploring and evaluating other available online resources for, for AHA residents. So thank you for your time this evening. Appreciate all the work that you do. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you. And other candidates not raising hands, so um, that brings us to the regular agenda. Um, we're on item 5A, discussion of Alameda's domestic violence response. Um, first, we have a presentation by Ms. Kristen Snyder. reaches us, they will initially 
speak with one of the advocates to do an intake. We have um, an existing relationship with various local law enforcement entities, including Alameda Police Department, um, Oakland Police Department, Berkeley Police Department, the Sheriff's Department. With that relationship, we are able, the advocates are able to get police reports of, of individual reports about domestic violence, and so our advocates are able to call each victim to see if they are interested in any type of service. And when I mention relationship, um, it's strictly one where the advocates are able to get the police report. We don't disclose any information to law enforcement about the services that we're providing to the survivor unless the survivor gives us a written explicit release authorizing us to do so. So we do appreciate that opportunity to get those police reports because we're able to contact survivors that way. Um, our advocates also do safety planning and case management as well. And if our legal department for some reason may not be able to represent a survivor in their respective restraining order or family law or housing matter, um, the uh, advocates may be able to provide court accompaniment as well. And anytime we get a call from a survivor, if for some reason we can't um, provide them with services, we do our best to always give them type of referral so that way the survivor knows that there are other resources available that may be able to assist them. And then we also have a mobile response team as well. So this is during business hours and after business hours. If there's a situation where a survivor contacts law enforcement and the, the survivor requests assistance from um, our agency and the abuser is arrested, then the um, mobile response team can come on site to meet the survivor where they are to provide some emergency type of services. Um, again, that has to be safety first, so the abuser has to be arrested, um, and the call and the request has to be within Alameda County. Um, we're not able to go outside of the county for that. And during after hours, the, um, the crisis line focuses on emergency issues. So our intake process of meeting with the legal department, that happens during business hours. But after hours, it's more around emergency crisis intervention services. And then the legal services, that's the department that I'm responsible for. Um, and just a side note, I've been with FDLC for a number of years. I actually started off as a law student interning with FDLC and then became a staff attorney, a senior staff attorney, and now I manage our entire legal department. And so our services, we focus on quite a few different areas. We can provide, uh, conduct client appointments for survivors who are seeking domestic violence restraining orders. Um, if there are survivors of stalking or sexual assault, they may, depending on the relationship nexus of the parties, can have a domestic violence restraining order or a civil harassment restraining order. Usually for civil harassment restraining orders, we're focusing on if there's stalking or sexual assault of some kind. If it's like a neighbor type of dispute, we would refer to another type of agency. We also provide court appearances, so we can serve as um, attorneys representing the survivors in their restraining order matters. And sometimes for safety reasons, because again, we're focused on client empowerment and autonomy. If they feel that a restraining order is not the best option for them, that they may want some cuts in visitation orders, depending on our capacity, we may be able to represent them for that particular hearing. We also serve as advocates um, in Title IX complaints. Um, predominantly, we see those that you see Berkeley because obviously the geographical location of where we are. So, so student survivors who are surrounded domestic violence, intimate partner violence, stalking, sexual assault, they may decide they want to go through adjudication process through their school. Um, so we assist with the Title IX complaints with that. 
We also have grown in our area of housing law as well. So we have a housing service unit that provides holistic legal, case management, and limited financial assistance for survivors who are facing housing instability as a result of domestic violence. And so with that program, we're able to provide comprehensive both legal and case management services for survivors. An example of that type of program may be we are assisting a survivor with a restraining order and we're representing them in court. For some reason, they may decide that they want to relocate and they have income, but they may need some limited financial assistance for storage fees or a deposit for a new apartment. And so um, we do an assessment, and depending on their eligibility with that program, we may be able to provide a one-time limited assistance financially for them. We also have our Roof of One Zone project, which is a unique uh, project we have through the State Bar. Um, it's a year and a half long program where we're collaboratively working with 10 different gender-based um, agencies within Alameda County to serve clients through those agencies who have underlying housing issues that may intersect with family law and domestic violence. And so we can provide legal information, education, all the way to legal assistance with their particular um, legal issues more focused on housing. Any questions so far? When you're saying you follow up, do the police department, when they have an incident or case, they automatically give you the referral? Or how does, I'm kind of unclear of the process. No, no problem. That makes sense. So, so your question, if I'm hearing you correctly, is more along the referral process once an incident happens. So it can vary. So for example, if there's an officer on the scene and there may be the, the victim survivors requesting services, they may contact our mobile response team and we can see if we're able to go on site and assist the survivor. Also, we have advocates on staff who have a working relationship professionally with certain officers and they're able to generate the reports, um, my understanding, on a weekly basis. Um, and so then we get those reports, or the advocates, I should say, our legal team doesn't have access to those reports. Um, but then they will follow up with the, the survivor victim to see services that way. We also have walk-in hours, too, at our office. So on Mondays and Fridays from 10 to 2, um, a survivor can come on site at our office. Um, and if they prefer to be um, in person for a variety of reasons, we can do an intake there with them to assess if we can assist. And they can also call our general crisis line Monday to Friday as well. Um, have people yeah. referred to get um, immediate legal assistance and does it need to wait? Yeah, so the intake process is not immediate, but of course if there is an immediate concern, for example, if a survivor has a three-day um, notice of a, um, like an unlawful detainer action that may be coming along the way, or if they have an emergency protective order that may be expiring, um, when we do the intake, the advocates do their best to complete the intake on site. It depends on the availability of the survivor, right? Um, and so after the intake is completed, it's forwarded to me and the goal is to have it assigned to my legal team so that contact can be made within 24 to 72 business hours. So we don't guarantee like legal representation, of course. Our services can be between the consultation, paperwork assistance, all the way to representation. So it's our goal to get in touch with the survivor in a very short time frame. Yes, please. Um, we've heard about battery screws. Do you know anything about them and what the genesis is of them? Is they're effective at all? Are you referring to like the batteries intervention program? Yeah, and, and apparently there's another 
groups of batterers to do a sensitive program or something. Yeah. Right. So, so if I'm so your question is more along the lines of like uh, the batteries intervention programs and um, the, the effectiveness of the programs that you go for a lot of better. Yeah. So the batteries ordered to participate in them, or do they do it voluntarily? That's a great question. So with the restraining order process itself, um, the survivor can request in the restraining order a batteries intervention program. And so it's ultimately the judge's determination, usually after a hearing on the merits to the allegations of abuse, whether they're going to order a court-certified 52-week um, batteries intervention course. So there's different entities that offer that program. I had an opportunity because I was curious to observe a particular batteries intervention program. I think, quite honestly, it will depend on the, um, the respondent or the person who was ordered if they're truly engaged and interested in wanting to learn and gain effective tools around why they, they have behaved that certain way um, and learning basically about their behavior and, and positive ways to respond when things are escalating, obviously. Um, so I can't say if it's effective necessarily, but it's something that judges do order. It is within the um, Domestic Violence Prevention Act that a petitioner can request that. Um, sometimes respondents may choose for a variety of reasons to voluntarily do that. Um, we do, um, when we're representing survivors, if they want that to be requested, we ask for that. But again, it's in the judge's discretion if they're going to order it. It varies case by case. I have a couple of other questions. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, not at all. I'm excited. <laughs> you said that sometimes you represent clients in custody and visitation matters. Mm -hmm. so how, how do you handle the mandatory mediation as issues of domestic violence? So, so the question is, um, how do we handle mandatory mediation? Are you referring to like family court services? Yeah, so we practice, um, well, so I'll just clarify, we practice only in Alameda County. So I know that in certain jurisdictions there is like a mandatory like um, uh, mediation and there's also some jurisdictions recommending versus not recommending. Right. Yeah. Right. So the way the way that we handle it, and I can speak for myself as an attorney when I represent the survivors. And obviously you know that attorneys are not allowed in one of those mediation sessions um, with family court services. And usually how they're handled in Hayward from our observations, because there is a separate department that handles predominantly just domestic violence restraining orders, is usually they will refer the parties to family court services at the first hearing. And so what we like to do is at least set realistic expectations with the survivor when we're preparing them for hearing um, of what, for lack of a better term, the key points that they want to raise at the hearing. We also get into the legality of, you know, sole legal versus joint custody and ramifications of family code 3044. So what we try to do is, again, focusing on survival empowerment and education. And if we're not able, obviously, in that setting to speak with the, the mediators, um, at least educating the survivor of what points they want to raise so that hopefully their thoughts and concerns can be articulated. Does that answer yeah, your question? Last no, please, ask, ask away. Have <laughs> you here, because I've been trying to find some of this. Yeah. So do you get involved with um, court-appointed uh, presentation of children? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
the, the question is, do we get um, involved at like like a minors council type of situation? Yeah. yeah. So we we don't. Um, I know previously there was some court funding or, or state funding around like um, minors council, so we don't get involved as minors council, but we do represent minors in, in situations where they may be the ones that want to file a DVRO. Um, again, we have a conversation first because, you know, as you know, court is a very traumatic and overwhelming experience. So usually we would like to see if the survivor or parent may be the one that's appropriate to file a restraining order and list the minor child as a protected party. But, you know, our team, including myself, have represented minors in restraining order matters. And we've seen that in, like, dating relationships. Um, other times when the children are under um, under 12, it might be a guardian ad litem situation. So we don't um, represent as minors counsel, but we do represent minors. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And ask away if I can see any other questions. Any other questions? Um, so we have a youth program as well. We have several different youth programs. First, we have our Relationship Abuse Prevention Program, RAP, which is a essentially it's essentially a peer education program around teen dating violence and healthy relationships where we work with youth from various um, high schools within Oakland Unified School District at the moment. Hopefully it can expand to Alameda, uh, Alameda, but it's the goal for them to learn about healthy relationships and educate their peers. Um, we also have a didactic therapeutic program for um, parents, survivors, and their children who witness or are affected by abuse. That program is specifically for the grant and the funding we have tied to Oakland, and the child has to be, the children have to be under five and under. And then we also have a very unique program where it's our violence prevention intervention program where we have gender-based violence um, educators on site at seven different Oakland Unified School District High Schools where they're there to serve um, and provide prevention education support for the youth at those respective schools. And there may be occasions where the, the youth team will refer youth survivors to the legal department as well as the crisis intervention unit for other services. Um, so that's the unique uh, program we have with our youth department. Question. Yes. Are they on staff all day, five days a week? The, the youth department? Yes. Oh, yeah, so they're regular staff. Um, they're not, they're at our main office usually like one day a week because most of the team are on site at the respective schools. So they work regular business hours just like we do. Um, yeah, but they're mainly on site at the school. Yeah. And is there non-health services for children older than that? So on site, we have a therapist, and it's specifically for that grant. It has to be five and under. However, we do get like referrals, for example, surviving parents asking, oh, I want some therapy services for my child. And so what our um, advocates will do is to try and find other referrals for other agencies that may offer that type of service. But on site, the only um, the grant parameters is that it has to be tied to Oakland and then five and under. Okay. And that's why you I'm not sure, but I can certainly find out. Any other questions? Do you, um, and maybe I'll get to this, uh, kind of more gender, uh, like LGBTQP kind of violence mm -hmm. in that vein, and any uh, protection for human trafficking? 
Great, great question. So our services are open to all survivors. So we have um, surf survivors who identify as LGBTQ. We have surf survivors who identify as trans. Um, and it's, also, it's even more so important in the court setting, too, so that the bench, the judicial officers are familiar and understanding of that. And also we try to educate other community partners and agencies around that issue too. We don't have a, like a separate like staff member or program specifically focused on um, domestic violence within the LGBTQ plus community, but we serve survivors who identify. But it's, it is critical that that training is available because um, it's happening. Yeah. And then for human trafficking, um, so we don't, so I know that there's different types of, for example, immigration um, protections for survivors of sexual exploitation, for example. We don't practice immigration, but we have wonderful community partners that do engage and work specifically focused on um, sexual and, and labor trafficking. So some that come to my mind um, immediately is Central Legalde Garaza. We also work with Mugadisanita CSTVAS. We work with um, Love Never Fails. So there's other partnering agencies we collaborate. Um, Missy, for example. So if what we'd like to do, again, if we have an explicit written release from the survivor to talk with other agencies, we may um, try to reach them in, or we will let the survivor know, okay, these might be some additional services um, as well that may be available. But it, it has come up as well, too. And then we also have a policy team that focuses on advocacy. Um, and in the last year, um, uh, several of our campaigns focused on the intersectionality of gender and race equity um, and looking at survivors, particularly um, with concerns of housing um, instability and criminal justice reform. So I know that's quite a few different areas, but quite frankly, it's something that a lot of our survivor clients are facing. And so some campaigns we focused on uh, last year was the Pathways to Safety campaign that focused more on the intersectionality of gun violence and domestic violence. And for example, like domestic violence um, and gun violence restraining orders. And then we also have the Right to Exit campaign, which focused on like forced prostitution um, and sex trafficking as well. And so, just to give you a bit of demographics around our client impact for Alameda County um, in the last fiscal year. We uh, serve uh, a little over 2,000 survivors with different services, both crisis intervention and case management. Our legal team, we um, serve 979 uh, survivors for um, financial assistance, homelessness, over, over $288,000 was um, provided to survivors. Um, 194 youth were working with through like uh, the seven Oakland Unified School District High Schools, and then we had 97 uh, youth engaging group supported services, which included our RAP program, for example. And then, as far as the city of Alameda, you know, some demographics to consider: 34% uh, of the residents speak a language other than English, 58% identify as Black Indigenous people of color. Um, the larger uh, Demographic was Asian Pacific Islander, 6% African American, 12% um, Latino, and 7.1% um, were in the poverty threshold. And so, what we are currently doing for domestic violence survivors in the city of Alameda, we have a family violence uh, prevention project. And so, that's a combination of emergency relocation services, crisis counseling, safety planning, and direct legal assistance. 
Um, so again, similar to the work that we do, we provide um, legal advice, paperwork, paperwork preparation, representation. Our crisis accounts, our crisis managers engage in streamlining again with the police report, specifically from Alameda PD to reach out. Um, and then you know we we do engage in different task force um, around domestic violence. And then we have like, an emergency shelter program. We don't have a shelter ourselves, but we have like housing vouchers, again, through the generosity of the city. Um, so we're able to put uh, survivors in shelters until they're able to safely <coughs> And just some statistics that you're aware um, of, <coughs> of the generosity of funding us. Um, for the fiscal year 2023, we assisted 21 um, sexual assault survivors with um, legal assistance and support services. And the PowerPoint presentation, I'm going to get a copy of it, has a more robust breakdown of the amount of clients that we serve. And then we also provided emergency structure assistance to 20 individuals. And of course, the, the grant that we have through the city, um, we're still within it. There's two more quarters, and so we're confident that we'll be able to serve more survivors that way as well. And then I know um, the question was like, how can, can this board support our work? Quite frankly, we're really grateful and appreciative of the funding that we receive from the city. If that can continue, we're very much grateful for it. I think another opportunity is that right now the funding that we have for the emergency assistance is more like a bedside, kind of like hotel voucher. But there is a huge intersectionality with PD and housing instability. So if we're able to get that limited financial assistance that we can help survivors with, whether it's, for example, they are facing addiction and they need to just pay a month's rent and once that's paid and they're on their feet, that limited climate assistance fund can help. Um, sometimes survivors, they may have their car broken down and they need to get fixed and that can jeopardize their ability to get to work and things like that. So consideration for um, funding to provide limited financial assistance to survivors. And just to clarify, we don't give the money directly to the survivor. We use a third party like um, entity to facilitate that payment. So if the rent, the rent is due, we give the rent directly to the landlord. If there's a, a car payment that needs to be made, we give it to the entity. So yeah, that was pretty much my presentation. I don't know if you have any further questions. Well, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Do you have any clarifying questions from the board? I don't have any specifics. How does Alameda compare with other comparable cities of its size in Alameda County for episodes of domestic violence? Mm -hmm. Are we in your kind of detriment? Yeah. Um, where are we in terms of incidents and services? I think I think that's a challenging question to answer because of the challenge or the not the problem is is that a lot of survivors don't feel comfortable reporting necessarily. So it's hard to gauge exactly um, if if survivors are reporting it and if enough is being done per se, right? I think part of the, the conversation is about bringing more awareness and engagement to the community about the existence of these services. Um, so it's hard to say really um, if, if Alameda has like a high number of like DD incidents versus like Oakland, for example, or Berkeley or Albany. Um, so I don't know if that's, there's really an answer for that too, especially because a lot goes unreported. I noticed that the number of people with disabilities is proportionally high, considering how many 
fuel disability there are 22%. Um, do you find that there's a higher than average number of people who have disabilities to get involved in domestic violence or? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question as well. I think part of it too is it's based on our, our intakes and how the survivors are identifying themselves to in the intake, right? So um, I don't know necessarily if there's a higher spike of like survivors who are disabled and, and they're, they're the ones that are seeking services. Um, but it is an it's an interesting observation. I, I haven't really thought about that. My burning question is, do you think there'll ever be changes in policies that allow abusive fathers to continue to have like legal and physical custody of their children? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting as well because, and that's, that's an interesting conversation because part of it, I think, it varies case by case and then the law provides, there's something called Family Code 3044 that basically says that if there's a finding of abuse within the last five years, the default is that the, the person who's found to be the abusive parent really shouldn't have custody of the children. However, they can rebut that presumption um, by showing that they completed barriers intervention, that they um, have complied with the restraining orders, um, that there hasn't been any further incidences of abuse. And um, I think that the, the bench, you know, I can't speak for them, obviously. There is a balancing act in their mind of obviously considering the safety of the petitioner and the children, but also ensuring that the, the other parent still has some type of contact with the children, except if there's an exception, though, that it's like um, extreme circumstances where safety is um, of concern, or they might do like supervised visitation or things like that. Um, I wonder if there will be laws that change it. I think, honestly, a, a big concern is the guns and, and the compliance of like firearm relinquishment. That's a concern that we've been seeing a lot too, where um, there may be, uh, under the restraining order, it's required that the respondent turn over their firearms, but a lot of times they don't. A lot of times, um, you know, that the survivor is concerned about it and it still goes on. on Support it, and nothing is really done. So it's, it's an interesting thing too. I have a question about um, whether or not we track data around immigrants or not immigrants. I mean, in, in our in our intake, we we don't really like track um, like someone's immigration status necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just thinking out loud with like our intake that we have, for example, um, other funding through like CalWORKs, for example. Um, and so we're able to at least um, identify the survivors. They, if it's like um, if they're a, they're a citizen, yes or, or no, but we don't like really track like over undocumented or things like that. I will say though, um, we do have a partnership with like Central Legal de Raza. So when I see an intake, um, I'm, if, if there's any disclosure about a person's status and as a form of like abuse, for example, like the abuser is using the threat of reporting their um, status as a form of power control, I, I would be automatically thinking, oh, I may want to do a referral to Central Development Alaska to investigate whether they can help with a visa or a valid like, um, petition. So then we can forward a, a long referral to them as well. So just trying to think holistically how we can and then also, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Just one question around um, whether or not uh, the data, you're able to kind of identify the, the neighborhoods where there, there may be upticks or 
That's a really good point. Um, so the, the database system we use is a city scan, and so when we're doing intakes, we can we ask the survivor like what county they're associated with and what city. Um, I don't know necessarily. We can certainly do like um, a query report where we're able to see like what cities like survivors are coming from. But I think that's a wonderful suggestion um, to raise to like our um, our ranking contract manager and executive director about like further outreach opportunities. Thank you for that suggestion. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just curious about uh, language and translation services. Yes. Yes. So we serve survivors um, regardless of their language, and also we serve survivors who are um, visually um, and hearing impaired. So we have an um, agreement with Language Line Solutions, and so we use interpreters for that. Um, I've worked with survivors who are, um, uh, who are hearing impaired, and so in situations like that, we have reached out to um, private um, um, interpreters and scheduled like appointments through them. Uh, so yeah, there's no restriction with languages. Sometimes there's unique languages, like mom, for example, and so we'll try to identify through language line interpreter, and if not, we will hire an interpreter outside. Um, the court is required to provide a, trans a court certified interpreter for hearings, and we'll request that in advance if we need to. Um, but yes, for our services, language is not an issue. We serve regardless of language. Yes, please. The funding for the school services, is that through the city of Oakland or is it different way? My understanding is it's through the, the, the city of Oakland. Okay. Any questions? I'm always excited with questions. <laughs> 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 yeah. And my contact information is at the end of the, the PowerPoint. So feel free, if you're ever interested in visiting our office, feel, feel free to come. I'm glad to give you a tour of our office as well as the Family Justice Center. It's a very wonderful opportunity to one-stop shop for survivors to come. There's over 20-plus agencies there providing services. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Happy evening. Um, well, so that concludes our clarifying questions. So we, uh, we'd like to now open it to the public for comments. Uh, public comments are limited to three minutes each. If anyone is interested in speaking, Please raise your hand so Mr. Fairley and Ms. Johnson will be able to identify you. Are there any public comments? So the item is now open for discussion and comments by the board members. You get a good quality of questions in the last time? Craig, I'm like, you don't need to do anything. <laughs> 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 like, I would like, there's not that it's like one-stop shopping of like more than I think a lot of the talk of where like how do you do relationships? Kind of need you to come to like Alameda School District. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't know Michelle, but that's a huge compliment. We would need you to come more to Alameda. I mean, but I think that's my question is like, is Alameda? Like of all the challenges that we face, is domestic violence in Alameda the thing that we want to focus on compared to other uh, crises or challenges? Well, in the needs assessment, we did identify as a critical issue. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I also think that a lot of it is not reported. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're 
ethnic minority groups in particular, or if there's a lot of cultural stigma to report? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm curious about where the funding is Well, we should look at those five funding for the school. I know, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I don't know if they fund anything. It's a huge number of things for under five. Under five, But then mental health services, I think, to our school age cases is really, really critical. Actually, I do have a question for you. Um, the funding comes to City of Oakland. Does it come to Department of Funds Prevention? Yes, it does. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Isn't there an Office of Children Youth and Services also that? Oakland Fund for Children and Youth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oakland Fund. Okay. Yeah, but that makes sense. The DVD would be funding that. So, like thinking about like adverse childhood events and like thinking of domestic violence as such a long-term protector. Like, how can we? We did it on when preventing ACEs. Mm -hmm. That might be a good Sorry, the lens of preventing. What did so you say? Like, oh, uh, ACE. Okay. Yeah, got it. Domestic violence is one of the, mm -hmm. or like, yeah. one of the points. I don't measure that. Yeah. 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 I think you've left, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, well, we've, um, we're expanding what we're working on, and part of it is we're working with AFS, supporting their work in the schools um, around domestic violence and bullying, um, looking at mental health resources, which is connected to the um, survivors and making some more resources available. So we kind of, we're still domestic violence, but we are. There's a lot of connectivity, right, okay. with other challenges. Mm -hmm. We're always open to more suggestions. It seems like this group is modeling that, like multiple yeah. groups, like from the yeah. Thanks, Nicole. Good to see you again. Have a good night. Um. All right, well, that's a tough act to follow. We've got the, we've got the work plan. Item 5B, discussion of social service, universities, board, 2024 25 work plan. This item is for board discussion only with no recommended action at this time. Before we start a discussion, though, are there any public comments? I'm going to make a comment before you guys dive in. Uh, there is an error on the staff report of 5B. You guys don't have access to it unless you pull it up on your phones or on the computer. There is an error with the last sentence in completing the CNA in the discussion section of the staff report. Um, just had to mention that while we're in the middle of the meeting. Um, but other than that, everything else. Hold it forever. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, are, you guys are good to discuss. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. There's a number four, right? Uh, there is a number four that got cut off, but we will display it okay. right now.
says before the piece at the start of the meeting that there be a written report from the work groups so we can read it and actually focus rather than just having ad hoc, you know, discussions about things that at least from my point of view, I don't really know about. And that's what I, I've always on board, that's the way I've always operated. If we operate with the Brown Act and the Social so Ordinance. Yes, we could have the report at the meeting, but that would mean, Bernie, that all reports would have to be prepared at least um, seven business days ahead of time to be posted, which means that they would have to come in 14 days ahead of time for us to go through the city review process for them to be posted. So we're working with a very, then we're giving you like two weeks to work on something. So at meetings, there's no advance notice. Nobody knows what we're going to say. Well, you know, you say if you get the package from Danielle and she sends that out, then this information will be in the package, and that's the first thing. Yeah. And that's seven days, seven business days, or seven prior. So the hyperlink that we get from the from the PDF document actually has this page right. in it. So when she sends it out, I actually click on those links from the agenda. And those links, and that item. But the thing here is that there are work groups. And like, we met in a work group. We came up with ideas. It, why is there not, through our, you know, our, our work group and the other work groups, presentations by people that had actually discussed stuff? I mean, I wasn't there on the homelessness work group or the other one. change the data of the domestic violence workers and 
the no cities and dust, that would be like two weeks in advance. Could they go to? Yeah, I'm not that sure the city staff, honestly, that I could support okay. four, four work groups and be on that schedule. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I need, the, I need the materials prepared and completed, and Andre does the bulk of that 14 days in advance. Mm -hmm. And then we need to do all the work with you in those first 14 days of the cycle mm -hmm. to have that deliverable, then to get vetted by myself and Lisa and other people who need to go through the city chain of command to then get to the point where it can be posted publicly. And then within that time, things change because you're all working all the time. Mm -hmm. What do you want, just to clarify, is that is it you'd like it to visualize or read it, or is that it, mm -hmm. there's too much kind of spitball, like it doesn't the feel as efficient to use the tank? Yeah, it's like, uh, it's not used to this. <laughs> <laughs> we're all the workers that are supposed to be focusing on them and bringing to the board information, recommendations. I think that's partly like what this is, though, right? Like it's here and it's concrete. No, I'm just trying to figure out. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we can achieve your goal for more efficient use of time and be having like clear come to the table with more fully formed ideas. That's the goal. So kind of gestate a little bit more before it's presented yeah. and have a clear report. And I'm probably the biggest culprit of just talk like it's not a bad culprit. Of just shooting checks. So I can be more are you also asking that each work group present Something in writing, like a summary in writing of the work that, that we did tonight? That's the idea. Maybe if there's nothing to present, then we can go. But uh -huh. I don't know what that's to me. Yeah. I was attending, while well, I said, you know, when you when, when you clear some meetings, like yeah. I knew that. Right. But since then, I haven't said it because I've been told it's some issue with Gravax, so I don't look. Right. I'd love to know what goes on but between the two of you before we come here and, and discuss you know, events. And Bernie, if you if you have the bandwidth, you're welcome to join them in their work group as well. So you could do domestic violence. You could also be in their work group. And you told me I couldn't. No, I think you couldn't prior to Cindy joining us. So we're oh, going to Yeah, now you can. Go for it. I'll say that this part of the work is kind of frustrating because you're just working out what you're going to work on. So it is a little bit removed. And generally for me, when I, and, and because I hear where you're coming from with it, generally for me, when I pack a whole bunch of this stuff into a single page, I expect that I'd have a report that I have to give each time for each part of it as I get through it. So that happens on a monthly basis whenever we get to the next phase of it. So. I hear where you're coming from. I guess the thing is, whenever there's something to to tell, we, we, or to ask. we yeah, or to ask, we stick it on there. And we we did it in the past. We did it when we brought the resolution for Alameda together against hey, when we were going to do that, we brought it back in, we stuck it in as something to discuss. Our name change. <laughs> Our name change. We, we stuck it in there as part of that. So it's just the wheels of progress are moving a little slower. And I feel like when you give your report, 
that, that you read out, is that in that two-week process, you just submit that? If I was going to submit that in writing, yes. So I do that in a formal way in writing, twice a year to you. For the last one was in January, we had a last meeting, and then I do it again in July. But most of my reporting out is verbal, just like you're reporting out. And then that would be captured in the minutes. That's where you would, you would find that in writing. I'll be looking forward to having you back with this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, so um, Andre knows ourselves and you know, Sharif forward during the OSHA meeting invite. Okay, moving forward. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right, so is there any more conversation for the road home? And then Michelle, were you thinking about being there or you're thinking about doing your own thing? Or you, you want to think later about can you know, I talk to your own thing and then maybe that can be combined or yeah. something? Okay. You don't want to leave you alone. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's um all means together again, Tate. Yeah, we got yeah. ambitious. Yeah. You're ambitious. There we are. Yeah, we are. Thank you. Okay. That's our goal is to most positive change in, in our community. And, and these work initiatives don't have to have like measurable results, right? No. I think the first one was very measurable in the sense that that would be all metrics that you're looking at. And that's an accountability piece, but for this it's, it's not as measurable. And I think um, a lot of this, which needs to be, is partnering with other folks in the city and organizations who are doing the work right. to help. That, that is really what it, this group is supposed to be doing, bringing this together. That community aspect that you were talking about is what we're really trying to do here. And it's the only way you can get rid of things like the hate that people do. Maybe, maybe I don't know if there should be another column in terms of partnerships. Like uh, and then people on, on the board might have some suggestions on who to partner with for their guidance. Are you saying for this work that is the lead? That column, Diane? Or creating a new, new column around potential partners or something? I think we can do that outside of what we bring to council. Okay. And then I, I just want to point out to you guys, you do have this. Did you have this picnic here? Yes, I was really focused on that one. Yeah, that sounds really great. This was part of when, when you discussed this. We had already had this down as part of one of the initiatives that we wanted to do. And I still think it's a great idea to bring the community together and do it in a positive manner that is against hate. <laughs> I mean, full love is fine, but yeah. There's so much divisiveness going on. Something like this would be a real turning point, I think, for the community. Whether it's in April, June, or whenever, it would be a good thing to bring people together. And, and well, we should come to the base down because it all takes planning and yeah. planning. <laughs> I would want to take months to be able to put something like this together. Or at least a few months months. instead of a few weeks. Six months. This gives us to September, right? Yeah, and I would probably, when going for a council, I would change, recommend changing this language so it's more, it, it, it leaves you up for interpretation. You know, okay. can say an event to promote, okay. um, right, so you're not tied to planning, picking a crap code. There you go. Okay. And then, um, I think one of our challenges is just around funding. There's, there's yeah. a budget for I our know. activities, and you know, we, have, we have some 
Great teachers, but no money to bring them in. That was something that we had initially uh, wanted to get in, getting, finding out what kind of funding we could get based on what we found out the number was. If it's close to zero, we should get the set big zero. So we are still in search of such things. I would, I would think that somebody can loosen a pocket or two out there. If we need to go and do presentations, I'm happy to do presentations. I'll have Scott help me out with my And is that something you'd be willing to tackle in your group? No, it's too much for us. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's a question I'm raising because um, I think maybe it, it, I can't. I mean, I'm only speaking for our group, but maybe the other groups too. You know, could use you know small sum of funding to help them accomplish you know their goals. Okay, so just identifying funding sources for the work. Yeah, and that's something that everybody broadly wants to work on. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of education in that region. I mean, we don't have to do it personally, but I think those activities could use a little uh, support in order to initiate them. I agree. Okay. Good point. John, not signing up for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting smarter. <laughs> Good boundaries. <laughs> Anything else for ASA? Um. I mean, I like what we've got on our list. Some of these, again, the season of nonviolence, we're already in that. We're already participating in that. Some of this is already in progress. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you guys. You might just find some of them. Yeah. yeah. When we take this to council, this will appear, it'll be condensed, yeah. and it will be made. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm used to work times where there's dates and responsible. This is just, I mean, I think, Andre, you guys, it was a really intense meeting last month, and I think Andre really did a great job capturing everything. Thank you, Andre. So the intention is here, and we'll make sure that, you know, that we still hold you accountable for things, but not specifically. Okay? Right. Yeah. Good start. Good start. Good start. Thank you. Keep All right, and then we have domestic violence next. Wondering, um, not the hate-free, no, the city resolution, hate-free city. Mm -hmm. Do you think we could add an eight around? I mean, there's domestic violence month. Does the city do anything for that or proclaim? Mm -hmm. I don't know what exactly. Mm -hmm. I think education and awareness. That's what I'm talking about. So, you know, we, we could maybe fund or purchase a banner that you can hang on Park Street, Bunch Street, just for playing it as a And then, like, the hotline number or something? Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, direct to the resources. All right, we can add to yours then recognize domestic violence Okay, so, Bernie, is that okay? Can we? Like, I'm not sure how to explain that later, but can we get, can we, stop city
I believe that it will probably be assigned to staff now. Okay. Whether a council person takes the point as the point person or not. What does the proclamation do? I mean, normally they just get like a red at city council meetings, right? So then it becomes yeah, when we did the poetry slam, we actually got a proclamation from the mayor that was read to the council about the poetry slam going on for the So that so I think part of when you think about what you want to do to recognize domestic violence month, that could be one of the tools you use as a proclamation. And we can talk about that when the month comes or much prior to the month. Because if it's gonna be a proclamation you'll have to go through I don't want to eat that horse, but this is a great example. Mm -hmm. We just had an elephant presentation by Nicole. And now we're talking about speculation. Nobody, nobody ever passed her. And that's kind of what the work group is supposed to be for. Well, I'm I don't feel that that's why I trust to be discussing something without preparation when it should have been vetted through the work group with people that care to do this stuff. Have an opportunity to reach out to her. Well, I was thinking along the lines if there was a proclamation, for example, that it would honor the nonprofit, our nonprofit partners working in the city on issues, which you know kind of elevates their presence to everyone. And if the goal is to give exposure to the services that are being offered, I would think that inviting them into what we're discussing now would be the ideal way to go. The work group itself can say, hey, this is something we're thinking about. Would you, what, what do you see? What do you think? As opposed to. I mean, the, most domestic violence groups do something around, I think it's October, October. So this would just be piggybacking on something that's a national day. And that's a good point that we could take it back to the task force, Bernie, because there would be uh, kind of a non self center representation in that group. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's in April. That's in April, right? Mm -hmm. The next meeting. Anything else for this group? I think we should say that we really thoroughly and carefully.
that is like a framework of in cities, how do you increase it? Um, and it has like a kind of a playbook that we can use. So very that you guys all kind of like there's a built in playbook of how to do it and it's kind of building on our existing framework existing groups. So basically my idea is to work with other organizations, try to think of like figure connectedness. Um, and just give game plan for so, so this year, which is to talk about it and then going to various groups uh, and being like, well, how can the library board, the simple one be like, we get name tags for story hours so people know each other's names. Simple interventions like that and how to do with that. Um, and just having that as a focus. So this upcoming year would be just to kind of erase brainstorm and then maybe in the 2025 20, talking about implementing these connectivity. Well, I'm already doing it with you because we're <laughs> going to be doing at least one connected connectivity event and I, I, I thought it was a good idea. We thought it was a good idea and when you brought it up, there was something to do. It just it seemed like it was the right thing to do at the time. So maybe this will be your litmus test for the rest of this, the work that we're doing. I'm sorry, Michelle, did you say you sent the playbook out? Is that no, I, I just sent it to okay. oh. uh, You can share it with everyone. Yeah, send it out. Yeah, so there, I mean, there's a lot of resources. It's like there's Community Connect, like, and I, instead of doing, like, uh, I, instead of doing social isolation, thinking more about, like, community connection, inclusivity, um, there's a lot of, and on inclusivity and multi-generational aspects of how people feel more, relate more to their neighbor. You feel that way with it. So that, that's what I'm thinking of just a work group to think of, of like starting to meet, getting some data, would be reinventing, but more of something like, hey, can we make this something that we're prioritizing? So it's more of like the humanity of our human relations. We had someone reach out to the city by the name of Todd Erickson. He's the founder of Collaboration Arts. He's working with Elizabeth Dan Dandinell, who's the founder of East Bay Center for Anxiety Relief. And they are wanting to talk about the U.S. Surgeon General's report and how that relates to loneliness in their performing effort called Be Well Alameda. So I did include Michelle on in that invitation she accepted for that meeting. So this is you know, getting our toe in the water and figuring out what people are thinking to address this issue in our community. So that was my kind of just to start out with human being, how can we make it that if anyone wants to join me I guess I'm already doing it. Are there is there anybody who's interested in joining that initial meeting? Or do people want to wait till Michelle reports back? You report back, I'll join you, or you tell me if you need me. Okay. I'll be at your service. Yeah. I love the yeah, idea. Just mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I have to find it. And then I'll have to. Clarify, like, is the idea to create the theater of connectedness of like a calendar of activities for? Yeah, that's my hope, like a counter, and then build up on having like a an event, a shrub-hosted event, 
potentially that would honor volunteers or community partners um, having I mean, even I'm even thinking like the Crab Cove Fish Festival. Like, how can we piggyback on that? So, you know, like the more people know, or the Alameda Family Collective, or East Bay Regional Park, or just just starting to ask them, like, how can we do this more in addressing social isolation in the already existing? So it could be a calendar, but it's just more of like going to them and saying, hey, how can we make this? So first, I want to like define the problem. <laughs> and we've talked, I think maybe only with Scott about, or maybe Sam, like having an annual event and the amount of work that is. And you know, um, Gerald and Diane have talked about it in their group because their even their small poetry slam that they put together was an enormous amount of work. So just understanding that I think if you go into the area where you're saying that you want to be the sponsors instead of piggybacking on another okay, event. Okay, about piggybacking. Yeah, okay. Because that, that would have to, I think everyone on the board would have to agree and buy in. Yeah. Right, correct. Yeah, the season of nonviolence, uh, the poetry contest is coming up. That's another one of those aspects of the season of nonviolence that we're already doing. So, the season for nonviolence is happening now, as you recognized it with your reading today, but that's an ACCYF event that Shrub pushes in on. I so, did everybody get an invite to be a judge? No. So, we can, just, we can talk about that um, when I give my report if people want to be judges for that program, and I'll give you the date. Okay. Sorry, I'm trying to find the meeting, Cindy. I'm having second thoughts. It's going to be on Monday at 11:30. That's when the loneliness and isolation, and it's in person. Right. This Monday? Yeah. Do you want to come? In person at City Hall. Monday at what time? 11:30. I'll put you in as maybe, Jeremy. Yeah, I have to because I normal Mondays are weird for me. I have to get my um, schedule first. 11.30. Um, okay. Maybe send me the invite now. You better get the address. Yeah, I think it's on the invite. Yeah, there's a little bit of an obstacle course getting there. <laughs> All right, so for this work group, are we going to combine it with another work group? Is it going to be a standalone work group? Is someone going to join Michelle in this work group? What are we? What are your thoughts about that? I think that we probably want to working across multiple work groups and just keep it as a central hub, hub and spoke kind of thing. Because every every single group, I think, would tie into that connectedness one because it's connected. How about I define this more? I could get as we meet and I can give you a little bit more. It's still pretty vague. I wanted to confirm if this is something. 
Um, yeah, because I think some of your strategies kind of parallel what we got done, and what I worry about is that it's asking a lot of, you know, our public and private partners to, to do both. That's why I say it's more of a hub and spoke kind of thing, because what we're talking about is the community anyway. Community connectedness is the center for all the social services and senior relations board, so everybody has something that can. Then maybe sort of defining a overarching goal or for the upcoming year um, that has a specific lens. Good idea. Well, we can talk about it being that you're doing investigation. Yeah. yeah. We can talk about it from that from those terms, but we can also probably commit to to creating a calendar. Yeah. Do you think that you could do that on your own, or do you want support from another member? Can I see what you mean? I want to see like the evidence, like what the CDC and the surgeon general, like they do have like a kind of working in policy groups that they specifically recommend. I, I just want to make sure we're doing um, an evidence-based sort of intervention. So let's kind of get back before we go to the calendar of making sure the next steps are clear. Okay. So we're just going to be an investigation. Just investigation. Yeah. We'll, we'll present to council that we've recognized the need and that we're in an investigation stage of understanding how to fit this work into the other work groups that we're doing. As, uh, as well as possibly creating a new work group. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah. I feel like everybody in their own right has done a lot of work in thinking about it, and we really do appreciate your time. Uh, well, you talked about the work plans, and I was going to be talking about our work group, so this IC. Um, so this item is for board discussion only, there are no staff There's no staff presentation, it's so great to public comment. Is there any public comment? Public comment? <laughs> All right. So, um, I want to, well, I would go down the line, but I don't recognize that our community engagement work group is still, you know, working. We haven't transitioned to the other work group yet, so we'll still be doing that one for this meeting. So, domestic violence task force, is there anything you want to report? So, we reported part of it. Um, part of our time was spent discussing whether or not we should be a work group, and we decided we should, um, and then coming up with the plan. And uh, most importantly, still supporting the, the task force and their needs. Um, and they did ask for a battery group, so we've been uh, researching that. Um, and then also just wanting to support youth, as I mentioned, and healthy relationships, bullying, et cetera. Um, I'm going to do a survey of therapists in Alameda to get a better sense of like how many people have openings, um, who takes insurance, who takes Medi-Cal, et cetera. Uh, just, yeah, because I don't have a sense of the lay of the land, really. And then just um, dovetailing on some things that are happening, like the seasons of nonviolence and the youth job fair and doing some tabling, um, developing resources around 
things that are good for your mental health, even if you can't go to therapy. I love that. Um, I was reading that some medical providers now prescribe art, art, you know, which is wonderful. I'd love to find some free community yoga, if anyone knows that. Um, and then Marcy suggested also maybe just uh, spending a few minutes with people at the table and teaching themselves to things. Okay, and they, we did have a meeting um, for the youth career and job fair, which at one time came out of community development. But since we divided the experiment with base reason and economic development, we're still lending staff support to that um, program because it does overlap with ACTYF, but they said they'd be welcome to, to have you. So I'll send you the registration. You can sign up for a table. It's free. And we also did have someone re recently reach out to us to do Tai Chi with Dignity Village. Mm -hmm. And they said they're connected with a larger um, community of practitioners who do yoga and such. So I can put you in touch with that individual as well and see if they have any resources to share. That we discussed, we also discussed connectivity. We discussed um, this whole issue of overnight. Actually, Joe, you came up because you were praised for your organizational abilities. You've not seen my living room. Yeah, but um, I think from, from my point of view, Nicole answered a bunch of questions that I was trying to find out about. And the concern is what can the city do and what can this group do to support agencies like Chief in Charge and others to continue with the basic problem of domestic violence. I just added an anecdote. In my practice, I almost never went to court with domestic violence restraining orders, yet a high percentage of clients that I had had been victims from all stages of uh, you know, economic strata and social backgrounds. Some are court ordered. They also legal issues and then listen to her extent that ministerial involvement in everything for that that the domestic violence prevention act and other acts can be used as conduit for child custody litigation. But issues of the litigation of the court actions involved with other
little section where there's toiletries, masks, pens, um, things available for the public too. So. That's a great promotional place right there. Yeah. 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 Good show. So the other thing had was we worked on the work plan. Work plan. Thank you, thank you for help, Andre. Thank you, thank you. We really couldn't have done it quite well without you. So I'm glad to know we're getting good help and we need it. Thank you. And those are the two big items that we had. I had something else, but it'll come back to me. Oh, well, we're still working on the redoing the draft of the resolution. Thank you. That was the third one. Which and then that, I think, should come to City Council in October? Mm -hmm. Is that the timeline? Which last year. And then we're, we're still not clear on what our name or our name change. Yeah. So there's just or something if. kind of... Or if, or yeah, if. Loose, loose ends. Loose ends on that one. Right, and then yeah. we didn't decide when the poetry slam is going to be this year. I would discuss that as part of, I, can, I guess I can discuss it now. Um, yeah. So I got uh, a word back from the United Against Hate Week National Group, oh, right. and they have officially changed the date to September, I don't know where did I put that? I believe it was September 21st through September 27th, okay. as I recall, September 21st through September 27th. So that means that it will be warm and dry <laughs> and people will be happy to come out and we can reach out, I, I expected that we would reach out to Kimmy, the Poet Laureate, in April, so that we can start the program of getting workshops with the kids that for the weekend that they have the, like, blues. Angel? No, no, no. The blues. The blues or something. Yeah, oh, I think that double check is that. The water show? Blues and Blues, blues Festival? Yeah, Blues and Blues Festival, or kind of where you did it. Okay. Know, it's usually in like late September. Oh, it's it's part of it. Mm -hmm. We'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's yeah. sponsored by WABA? Yes, that would have to be. Because yeah, WABA. Yeah, that might be a clean because it is like, it's on Webster. And yeah. it's like yeah. scheduled for Sunday, September 22nd from 12 to 6. Okay. Well, I knew that. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. See, your timing is perfect. So there. You should be in charge of calendar. <laughs> so yes, we would definitely want to coordinate. I, I talked to Linda yesterday, so I did not talk to her about this, but to have somebody else who's taking over for Linda. Alisa. It's Alisa. Thank you. Yeah. And you should come back. Now that could be might be like a great uh, combo. Of like no. Do you have access to Lisa and Linda? I have access to Linda and she will definitely give me access to Lisa, but yeah, any anything on 
We meet with them. We meet with Wada um, and Java once a month. So if you oh. wanted to push in, I would love to. You know, to get prepared for that day. What's our need of business? I remember when they formed back in. Wada's West and West Alameda Business Association, and Java is Downtown Alameda Business Association, and they're both great human beings. And, I have I've spoken with Elisa. I think on the phone, but I haven't met. I haven't met her yet. Yeah, we're both the only even really great people. Yeah. Yep. And they are regular attendees at Alan at the CARES team meeting. And they're always very grateful. I think when we ask them for a report, what they say pretty much every month is thank you very much to everybody for all the work you do. Those are great social media. Do that. That that brings yeah. to the causes right there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they love that. I think it looks, you know, like that is yeah. blues, bruised, and anti-air like anti. Yeah. So see, that's for, for example, domestic violence prevention. Oh. Week, you know, connected with uh, the business associations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. United Against Hate Week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Or even if you connected like one of those Alameda strolls, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, know, yeah. you had each of those small places. There was a little yeah. little flat. Like that. That's my thinking. Like we should just. Do it instead of doing it all. Yeah, right, right, right. Are the way? <laughs> I believe that was the end of our report. I don't think I had anything else. No, no. Um, agenda outreach and engagement work group. I think there's is there still two presentations that we have left. I think transportation and disability. It was just to be scheduled disability. Okay. So both of those happen probably in March. Yeah. The Transportation Commission, um, we saw already gave us the green light for that one. Essentially because of the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The documentary too. Yeah. Um, you guys want to reschedule. That'll be in March. Um, I don't have an exact date, but I can get back to you. Possibly I can squeeze in the commission. It'll be a little bit of a challenge to get a hold of the we can work on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll say something about the film, but we'll find a way to fill our own Yeah. Is it time to ask a question? Oh, I'm Oh, I mean, we're in the discussion about, about the work groups. It's not the work group. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. So just wondering if, if we're going to um, move forward with the one pager? Oh, the infographic. Yes, we have a one pager that's double sided. But, um, <laughs> we, sent, we sent that forward to Sarah Henry to upload to the website. Okay. And we, um, Sam's going to work on it getting translated. They will. We will bring it to the next time they present, and um, we'll also have to stand probably look at having that updated. Probably some of the numbers are already out of date. No, 
But yes, we did. We did. We lost track of that, and then we found it after. I think you mentioned it last month, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, can I just suggest that maybe we consider if it's an infographic that we could do it like poster size, and then we can try to distribute it on the on the strips. Mm -hmm. to put it put in the, the windows. Okay. Yeah. So people walking by, our residents walking by, can I feel more comfortable maybe doing the after it's updated because it's starting yeah, sure. to new things down. Did you want to yeah. update it again? Yeah. 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 The other thing is it's just good, but it's like kind of not information that you can absorb with quick glance. I don't mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah, maybe. It's more of like a meeting, right? Or like stand up. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not one of those. It's more like an yeah, it doesn't have to take such a I don't think that you have to buy it. It would be any. Because I was thinking, you know, like an infographic. It might make sense in some places, like we could put it in the library, for example. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's not a like walk by a business and you could make it understand. Okay. Well, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Maybe one of the library would take the QR code? That links to the full report. Yeah. I mean, for old people, QR codes are like. I think that's a good idea. And then, like, right. uh, you can link. Yeah. All we're talking about people over the age of 55 barely do any of these. I think QR codes. I totally understand. I'm over the age of 55 and I use it regularly. But everybody else <laughs> when I talk to them. Yeah, you're sure. <laughs> I think if we if we do a QR code, it should take it use the infographic because I don't think anyone's going to page through. I'm also only asking because I think it's such a great report, and I think the data is interesting for our residents. Yeah. I think we could also probably prepare some kind of email blast stamp, honestly, to social service providers or other nonprofits who may need the data yeah. for preparation for grants. So that's something we can work on. Yeah, and we did have a needs assessment um, where we worked with, we had two groups in where we worked with, uh, I reported on this in the past, but we worked with executive leadership and then we had a separate one for kind of people who had their wheels on the ground for social service providers and the executive leadership when we said, what do you want to see in the future if we do this again, Doug Biggs did mention that granting opportunities is a good thing and we should probably give them standing information as well. That's something that's at high level, mm -hmm. so they have that. So I'll make a mental note of that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a funder, that's, that's what we look for is that. Right. Right. So is that your okay. thing? Okay. Thank you. Um, Spring Vista item six, 
staff communication, um, the staff support, and other services. Okay, so you had my conference room. Good evening. Thank you, President Scott Mead and the board. You had my formal presentation last month, which was the full one in writing. Um, today I have some updates. The first one is that on February 6th we did take an Alameda Family Services contract to council for approval, which they approved unanimously, for a full-time mental health worker to be based at Dignity Village. Yeah. Partial funding will come from monies that were not spent by Five Keys because of their uh, inability to find someone at that price point to fill that role. And the other will be supplemented from from city additional city funds. I spoke with Karen Zelter, who will be the hiring manager and supervisor for that position. And she said that she's conducting phone interviews. And Catherine Schwartz indicated that they're hopeful to have someone placed within a month. That would be great for the work that Scott is volunteering to do at Dignity Village with the resident advisory group. And we're really excited for that to happen. It can't happen fast enough. Um, I, oh, and I don't know if I shared with this group, but when it was announced in the last resident meeting, which is an open meeting for all residents in place, people were cheering out loud. You know, the residents were cheering out loud that, that we were taking that to council. Uh, yeah, it is excellent. Um, five Keys also noted that they are a large organization. They have a lot of sites that they are pushing on and provide services, and they do not have anyone in that capacity in any of their sites anywhere in California. So they did mention that. Um, we hired two part-time case managers for the city. Their correct and formal titles are community outreach specialists. One is Deja Lane, and the other is Connie Dixon. Deja Lane is working exclusively with Housing and Human Services. She's picked up some constituent work, and she is following up. It's work that I would have done in my extra spare time in the past, and it's really great to have a dedicated person who is out in the field with individuals who are at risk of being homeless or homeless, and helping them navigate the very complex system of resources that are available to them. Uh, Connie Dixon is working part-time with HHS, half of her time with us, and half of her time with the library, Alameda Free Library. She's being supervised by Lauren Walton there, and her job is going to be to support individuals who need access to resources who come to the library. A lot of the people in Alameda and Oakland and other areas are using the library as somewhat of a day center because of the indoors and heating and cooling that's offered to them, as well as the access to technology and books. So we're really excited about this. She is looking to host a coffee for um, individuals who are in regulars in the library to introduce herself, and then she will set up regular office hours and be available, and she's also working on a hard resource book, so she will be doing that in conjunction with supper and support. I think that Deja Lane, she works one weekend day, so she will join us for supper and support in March, and then we'll hope that Connie does that in the future too. And I will look forward to hopefully bringing them to meet you at some point in time. Um, we are being asked to collect data because we do want to consider this as a full-time position. So I would ask for all of you to think about that and give some feedback on, as a, as a constituent who knows that there's a need in the city, what you'd be interested in knowing or what would be compelling to you for um, understanding this as a permanent full-time staff need. Um, I want to recognize Andre for his work in coordination with Supper and Support. 
You've done a great job. And I also want to recognize Starbucks, um, Andrew Andenhausen, who is a Alameda Pride founding board member, is the general manager at the Starbucks and Bay Farm, and they have agreed to sponsor the event on an ongoing basis. And we'll be doing that with coffee and pastries, and that will be in addition to the meal that's provided by library funding. We will be working with the library to write a small grant because the food costs were significantly greater than what they anticipated based on the um, people who showed up for the first session. So we're thinking that the budget is, is going to be run through within a very short period of time, so we are looking at funding opportunities for that. And that is all. Oh, and then Season for Nonviolence, I wanted to invite all of you. It will be on March. On March 17th, it will be one of the worst weekends of my life, I'll have to tell you. <laughs> it'll be on, it'll be, I'm sorry, it'll be on Saturday, March 16th. So we'll make sure that you have an invitation. There is a morning program from 10 to 12 where the middle school speech contest will take place. From 12 to 1, there will be an art opening at the library. Island High Art uh, Program did self-portraits and identified with a word of the day from Season for Nonviolence. So there will be a small reception in the teen area on the second floor. And um, people from the public will be invited in to view the artwork as well. There's 14 self-portraits or portraits, I'm sorry, some of them are not self-portraits. And then from one to three, the speech contest will then return to City Hall Chambers for the high school portion. If anyone here is interested in judging, Gerald and Diane did it last year. We are uh, looking for judges. It's, it's a great event to attend. Gerald's going to return. And so we are asking that if you are interested that you judge either the morning session or the afternoon session, and that you do join us for the art program in, in between. Very inspiring. Well, you'll come home a lot happier. Ten people. We sent you the invitation to to invite you. We did record the two winners yeah. at an ACCYF meeting, so we can send you those recordings so you can view them so you get a taste of some of the um, speeches. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Marcy. Mm -hmm. Marcy, so that is that judge thing open to others other than the shrine board or Yes, Yasmin is coordinating who to ask. Okay. And um, we have it's sponsored by Rotary and by Kiwani, so we usually have a judge in the morning from one and in the afternoon from the other. Um, council members are being invited this year, so Yasmin's working through that list. And um, there are other members from the community that are being asked in so that we can get support for it and have some exposure and get um, get some more of the public in to hear the speeches. Great. And then also, I think we noticed last year that we needed to work with the Alameda Public Schools because there wasn't a great representation from Yes, we actually had, I think we had representation from six schools, which is not, it wasn't poor, you know, I, th I think it was a good amount, but there were definitely schools that weren't re represented, like Alameda High School, for example. Right. So we are working with um, Sylvia, who is the founder of the speech contest, and she's an AUSD employee, yeah. to ensure that other schools get involved if they want to and participate. 
and we're hopeful to see some of more of the larger school systems represented, larger schools on the island. I'm sorry, Marcy, I wasn't here last time. Your full report, was that in the minute? Yeah, that will be in the minute. Thank you, so much. I don't know. Can we check Good enough. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, she did correct it. She did correct it. Yeah. Uh, Oh, Sam, that's excellent. Okay, and with that, we are visiting, MASTIC has a great social worker in place, part-time social worker in place, who's actually funded through AFS, Alameda Family Services. She came and presented with, uh, in conjunction with Adult Protective Services at our last care team, care team meeting. And um, she's welcoming us in to, it will be myself, Connie, Marlon, and also Teal Hardin from the Food Bank, Alameda Food Bank, because when Teal redevelops her food bank space, she does want to have a small programming space of some sort to address social service needs, and she's not really sure how to use that space yet. And she, we're all going to go meet with Sean and, and talk to her about the work she does and how she does it. But that would be very helpful. Thank you, Sam. You can find one for cities that have social workers, and I'll have some. But just their library? I have to legitimize my social work. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? So Marlo, so Marlo will be good to go. But they have their funders. Well, yeah, they have their funders. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, that brings us to item seven, board communication on the agenda. And I just want to leave things off by reminding people that the guaranteed income for national tour is basic for Mary's Alameda is happening on Wednesday, February 28th, and that's 6.30 p.m. the time. Um, I plan to be in attendance. I have my tickets. I'm bringing my wife with me, too, so you can be you both of us? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I already know you. I know. But we're different when we're together. Yeah, so. That's trying to draw the time. She just makes you look cool, isn't that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I do. Uh, yesterday, the Hay Avenue project was uh, basically at our oversight meeting yesterday. We we're discussing the project over there in the Hay Avenue Wellness Center at this point. Uh, a little bit of the construction was slowed down because of the rain. There's some tree removal that was being done today. We are on track for the next few months to be able to bring it in on time. We'll be doing a walkthrough in the next couple of weeks to get an idea of how we're progressing. They've already started putting down the concrete for the foundation. They've already started drilling the uh, pylons, that, uh, drilling for the pylons that they're going to put in. They're going to put concrete down into the ground all the way across, about 100 of them to make the basic foundation. And then start putting the construction up by June, we start seeing stuff moving upwards as opposed to just at the ground level. So, and this is housing? Or? 
This will be a housing and respite center for seniors. Uh, it's a two-part program that's supposed to have both respite and senior uh, uh, program, senior living for people who are respite and uh, coming out of hospitals that don't have any place to transition to directly. So, oh yeah, it's going to be an amazing program. The other part is going to be the good neighbor policy, working with uh, transitional housing for people who are coming in who need services. That part we have yet to get all the funding for, but it's going to start now that we've got this part going. The other funding is going to actually start coming in. I, I see that as a possibility. So that's the other one I had. There was one thing I wanted to ask about because I don't want it to be over the top. I'm glad to hear that Dignity Village is finally getting a mental health person there was a posting in next door by somebody. I don't know if you know anything about this. There was a posting in next door about one of the uh, people who lived there having problem with some of the security staff. Um, I don't want to get into too many particulars right now because I didn't, I, I read through the, the thread and I thought that it was, it was difficult to really find out what was going on because the way they, they portrayed themselves as the victim and that the staff were the ones doing the victimizing and I, I, they, they got a lot of outside parties involved and I don't know if you know anything about this. Um, uh, so the next door? Yes. I would advise you to go next door. I think we have a debrief meeting with Rona, who's also working with you. Yeah. And we can discuss it then. Yeah, I, I read that and I thought I should bring that up because I was surprised and since you've been over there, I would, I would want to bring it to your attention. Um, if you want, I'll send you a link or send you a link, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting to see what they're talking about. Yes, sir. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. And that, that was my stuff, my defense. Is there anyone else? Is there anything going on? Um, I know we have one more section of communication. This is basically the end of, you know, our, our part of this. So, I mean, close, closing, um, the, the shrubs um, report. Um, I do have some somber news I want to share. Um, it is with great sadness that we announced that Patrick Corder, the former firefighter, passed away from injuries sustained last week during a tragic incident at the training facility. Patrick served the Alameda Fire Department as a firefighter paramedic for more than 15 years before retiring last year. Our hearts go out to Patrick's family, wife, and friends, and his ASD family. Very fun. Very fun. Yeah. So moving to um, oral communications. Um, are there any oral communications from members of the public not on an agenda item? New items may be introduced by citizens under that of oral communication. It must deal with matters subject to the jurisdiction of the Social Services and Human Relations Board. Council will be limited to three minutes. If speaking, speaker sales policies rule. They will be warned, and if they continue to disregard the rules, their opportunity to speak will be ended. Please note the board cannot take action on items not on the agenda. And looks like we don't have any 